Okay, today I'm chatting with Tom Snyder, Director of Programming and Conservation at Seneca Park Zoo in New York State. I talked to Tom about zoos today, the role they play in, in conservation, some of his projects in, in Borneo, Madagascar, and Equatorial Africa, and also technology, the role that technology plays uh, in, in conservation globally. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Tom Snyder. Hey, Tom, good morning. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's morning for me, not for you, but thanks for Yeah, well, I think we're, we're roughly 12 hours, so it's, I think, probably a lot easier for me. It's coming into <laughs> early evening, but you're, 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 you're definitely early morning. So, yeah. Cheers. Number for, two of coffee, so. <laughs> yeah, well, cheers for getting up early to chat. So I'm um, no looking worries. forward to, you know, having a chat. Know a little bit about, you know, yourself. Obviously, we're kind of working together a little bit uh, with task with with your your conservation stuff um i will have done a little in, a little intro but maybe just to kind of kick off be great to let our listeners know uh you know what you do seneca zoo what it's all about your kind of role within that organization sure thanks yeah um so my name is tom snyder i'm director of programming conservation action for the seneca park zoo society and basically what that is, is, is so I look at the guests coming through the zoo, which, you know, guests, their zoos have a ton of visitors worldwide every year coming on site. Uh, and, and we try to look at them and see how we can create a path for them to go to, to move towards conservation action and act on behalf of species. And um, I've done that pretty much my whole life. I've been a zookeeper for the majority of it. Um, Got, had the chance to travel because of that job and, and started to see the problem in the field and understand the nuances of conservation and have hopefully uh, taken a path that allows me to do that uh, in my career. Awesome. I mean, Sue's, so you, know, you know, it's interesting. I think, I mean, I, you know, we all grew up going, to, I, I don't know what your age is, but it's probably relatively similar to mine. Um, you know, we all grew up going to zoos. It all made sense and things have changed, particularly, I think, in the last 10, 15 years, but I, you know, speaking to you recently has given a real, shone a really interesting light on, you know, what the, what's the role of a, a zoo in today's sure. age? Because it isn't just about going and staring at animals, right? I mean, you're, can you, you know, just give some background on that? Cause I think it's really yeah. interesting when, and we'll dig down into some of the work you're doing, but for me, your, you, the way you convey the role of a zoo, I think is really fascinating in the work you're doing at Seneca. Thank, thank you. I appreciate that. But it, for me, as somebody who's been in the industry, it's really interesting for me to hear you say 10 to 15 years is what the, the change has been. Because in the industry, that was probably in the 80s that things started to change. Wow. You know, when keepers uh, were more informed on what we needed to, you know, you're looking at an industry that grew itself because it, it said, hey, here's something interesting. Let's bring it to show off in front of people um, because nobody's seen this before. We don't know how to feed it. We don't know what it needs to stay alive, but we're going to stick it in this little area with a whole bunch of other stuff and, and get a whole bunch of people in here. And that was the beginnings of, of the industry. And we have to be really transparent mm -hmm. about that um, because you don't want revisionist history. It just doesn't serve anybody. And I think that's, you know, it's a, a good lesson for everybody right now on, on other things. But, um, you know, so you, you come from that and there's, there's some hurdles to overcome with that to become a conservation organization and to be seen as, is is kind of har harnessing the potential that a zoo as a community organization can create. So, um, you know, as you, as you look at those, and in my career in the 90s or so, what happened was they created the species survival plans. 
And, and when you look at zoos, let me take one step back. When you look at zoos in an accredited zoo is, is the AZA, which is the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, um, it's, a, it's a really strict standard for everything from animal care down to the, the number of toilets or loos that you have on site for the amount of people that come through. So it's a very regulated industry across multiple federal industries in the U.S. and, and in Europe. And, and so when you have that good framework to make the animal care really great and the animal welfare a priority, um, then you're able to start looking at it as, oh my gosh, we have a whole lot of people coming through here from your point, um, you know, from a very early age, all the way up through to a senior citizen, um, you know, that goes on a golf cart tour because they can't walk and, and get around anymore. So um, that opportunity has always been there. And I think that is we've grown as an industry, you're not, you'll now see many more zoos that, that speak the way that I, that I do to you, Matt. Yeah. And actually my, you know, my, just to kind of not correct myself, my thinking is probably wrong just because actually I'm, when I think of when, when I last went to the zoo actually was, was probably in the, in the eighties, funny enough in the UK, but, and actually my perception of what I say there is probably more around what I see in Thailand, which is not about zoos, but it's more around, elephant riding and that shift from elephant riding to you know wildlife conservation parks and which is a different thing i realize but that's that's probably my you know probably probably why my perception of going you know 10 to 15 years is is warped somewhat <laughs> yeah i i think that that's you're seeing the accelerated path of of you know like places like thailand and cambodia and all those of what the zoos in the u.s had but but um, tourism is mandating that for them, right? Like, like your trip advisors and some of those are now saying, hey, hey there are morals and ethics here, just like there are to zoos and other things. Um, we're not going to recommend this anymore. And that, that forces that change. Um, and while it may force it, we have to applaud the organizations that have changed their values and, and gone after that. Because um, when you look at the numbers on a local sense in situ, meaning like on site for those areas, there's a lot of revenue generation in, around conservation for them. So yeah. you just kind of have to, you have to find the right type of person that wants to, wants to do that or the right type of organization. When, um, you know, I know when I look at, you know, if I was to describe what you do, I, you know, I look at it more as a conservation network than the zoo when you describe it, but there is still the zoo function, right? And, and putting aside obviously kind of lockdown and all this other stuff that's happened, but the, the main function for visitors Coming there is what education, fundraising, supporting projects. Is that you know a whole bunch of you know things around the animals that then kind of leak in a in a productive way, you know, out into all the kind of global projects and stuff. It's a it, you. I I understand why you tar started task <laughs> with your question. Um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting, right? Because we do know the driving forces of people that go there, and there's a whole lot of people that go simply because somebody in their family or their friend group or or the group with or with says, "Hey, I want to go to the zoo." So it's it's like this ancillary trip, right? Those are the people I really like. Yeah, because they're there, and 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 a lot of times they're the one that's sitting up there, and they're making a comment at everything, or they're they're just they're just not as they're not a zoo fan, you know, and they're only there because somebody else kind of dragged them there. And, and those are the people I really like to talk to because I, I start really talking about the problems of conservation and, and the depth of that. And, you know, they all agree with that. Uh, but then you talk about the depth of the discussion of why the animal is there on site uh, and kind of transfer that over. And you, and you really can open people's mind as, as to the true reason on why they're there. Um, 
and and then it becomes a question of of your ethics you know is is the individual animal getting what it deserves Mm -hmm. and is the species getting what it needs um and and those are questions that you have to be able to be transparent about in this industry so as long as you're willing to do all that stuff then it becomes about how do we get those messages to people uh in a way that that not only says hey there's a problem here um and we have a need but here's a solution and a solution that we can get to, to that individual, um, honestly, at the lowest bar possible, right? You just want that first action to start. Um, and, and to get a little bit deeper into your question of my job or, or my role, I'm really interested in that path and, and, and not only the path, but linking all of that up, right? So if we had a con- conversation at this point in time with you at the zoo, and then you went out and did something, and then got that feedback and kept going. You know that that initial point. I, I, that's why I love blockchain. It's an immutable record on that initial point, right? And to me, that and and there's a whole lot. I know we don't have we're, maybe weren't necessarily talking about that technology, but you know there's a lot of stuff that it doesn't do well. But having that first point right there for me to reference later on is is where I really like to play. We yeah, I wasn't intending on going down the technology path necessarily, but actually. It, it does beg the question. I mean, you know, you've been in the conservation space a good while now and, you know, you don't meet so many people that are as tech savvy as, as you are, but what have you, you know, maybe not going into blockchain right now, but looking at technology more broadly over the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, what, what, what changes has that brought to, that you've seen that are positive to conservation in general? If you've got any, I know that's a big question. A, a, but a, ev- Everything imaginable. Yeah. I mean, I, I still work, and there's some areas where you are that aren't connected still, right? They, they, don't have, they don't have even a landline. They don't have electricity. They don't have cell signal. Um, you know, now with Starlink and, and some things like that, even those areas, it's possible to start doing connections. Mm. So, I mean, in, in my career, we've gone from like paying for a Skype call a few years into it and, and having to load Skype and, and having a terrible video conference, right? to the entire world being able to do this uh, from everywhere and working from everywhere. Uh, so if you kind of encapsulate those areas of tech that we know, um, you know, the, the ability to truly manage individual data uh, and, and apply AI and machine learning is, is the spot for me that looking forward is that predictive technology for us to be able to say, you know, like this is a, my background is a forest in Madagascar and to say, Oh, this tree not only will work here, but it'll, it needs to go at this location at this height with the soil type. And you'll have a 99% uh, uh, chance of it living. I mean, for me to be able to do that compared to five years ago in Madagascar, where you just planted stuff and you had a 99% failure rate, that's been two years different. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's just exponentially making conservation more accessible to the entire workflow, entire, and and entire stakeholder line. Cool. It's good to hear. And, you know, obviously that's the stuff we're working on and looking forward to it. You, Madagascar, I I mean, you, you bring it up. So let's, you know, to talk about some of the work you do there. I think for, someone who doesn't, you know, understand your job or the role of the zoo, it's interesting to talk about plantations in Madagascar when you're talking about a zoo in New York State. But, you know, what's the work you're doing there, the relevance to kind of the zoo? And, you know, can we dig into some of that? Interesting to talk about the actual project. 
Yeah. So, you know, in particular, if you look at the zoo, we, we view ecosystem based conservation as the goal. So when we do that, that's our connector for the animal. So if we have lemurs, say, because we're talking Madagascar or, or, or day geckos or, or leaf-tailed geckos or any of these animals that are representative of, of the habitat that's behind me um, or the country that's, that's in my background, um, you know, you're looking at the, the causes of conservation, um, you know, impact that you need or, or the, 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 you know, arrows or the ways that you're going to go towards that conservation impact. And that is an ecosystem. So when you look at the Madagascar ecosystem, um, I just read an article yesterday, I haven't verified it, but it, it looks like the, the southern part of Madagascar right now is the first case of climate change induced famine on the, on the planet. I mean, that's the, that's the level of problem that you're talking about. Uh, climate, so. climate change induced fat. So they're, so they're, wow, how do they measure that? That's so, I, you know, I, again, I didn't verify yeah. it and I, I, I skimmed it real quick. It's not just, yeah, 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 okay. but, I call but, you up so no peer review, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it may have, but um, either way, if you think about that, it, they're tremendously close to that anyways. And there is famine at least. So you talk about that um, in an area that has a tremendous amount of biodiversity, right? Yeah. So export, export, uh, illegal exports, poaching, pet trade, all that stuff comes into effect. Um, tremendously fragile governmental system, uh, mired in, in colonialistic government frameworks. Um, all, of the, all of the problems that you look at, that's not just going and say, here's $25 for that hectare of land is a land right. Um, you know, which I remember as a kid, give us $25, we'll save a tiger. You know, that paid for a hectare of, of land rights. And it's like, you know, the guy cutting down the tree does not care about land rights, like yeah. at all, <laughs> or taking, you know, poaching the tiger. So it really is just like throwing money at, at, at a black hole, you know. And, and so when you realize that and your goal is what mine was, which is connect this entire thing, um, you really have to look at how we get ecosystem health and how we connect that populace to that healthy ecosystem, not just as a, as knowledge, but as a, as a dependency and an interconnectedness, just like another part of the ecosystem. Because if we create a populace that understands that, you know, if I plant these things this way, then I'll make more money than I'm currently making on much less work. So my kids can get an education and we can start, you know, building capacity. Um, that's tremendously different than somebody saying that they're going to plant a trillion trees and, and they throw, you know, a bunch of seeds out of a plane and, and fly the drone away or whatever, you know. It's really interesting. That point I think you make there is just, I mean, it's so critical, right? We've just, we got a project here we're working on that's just in the process of launching really, which is actually about incentivizing farmers. I can't remember if we spoke about it before, but big problem here with, with open burning of crop waste, right? It's seasonal, typically massive problem. We get, you know, we're on the air, the air quality index. We kind of hit 500 where I am. We have to get out of town. Um, but like you say, I mean, you know, it's kind of, you go around and say, Hey, stop, stop, stop. Or you go around and say, Oh, do this new process in this case it's a the creation of biochar which can be buried or given off as animal feed has different sequestration i never get that word right but uh <laughs> reduction co2 um but you know it, that whole kind of incentivizing and creating economic community around the right behavior rather than just trying to change the format to create the right outcome seems to me to be massively critical in in these changes that we need environmentally 
And, and that's one side of it, right? The other side of it is, is when you come to like, say the US that has US uh, AID and international development money, right? Yeah. That you're funneling through that. And, and then there's investment bankers and venture capital, you know, all that stuff that's investing as the countries as, as it goes up. We need to make sure that we flip that supply and demand and, and pricing structure from the offsets that they're paying for all the other stuff. You know, because the current side of that is um, that, you know, a company may call and say, we're going to buy this credit and it's $4 per ton, say. But I can tell you without a doubt that creating that, that hectare that created that ton or whatever the size is costs, you know, $15 per ton to, mm. to actually create. So it's, so it's flip-flopped. And my, my hope is, is that as we collect all this information and paint this more full picture of what the effort is, you know, in the field to really create sustainable development, then we can use that to provide a very quality offset to not only like carbon and things like that, but actually ecosystem services and species that, that we document that come back and, and, and really, you know, say, here's the value of, of a healthy ecosystem in this area. Really interesting. I, I've got a question that I mean, it's, I'm going to ask you on a podcast, but funnily enough, it's, a, it's probably a question to take offline because what you're talking about is something we are grappling with as an organization and brainstorming right now, because that project I just talked about has some very easy modeling and around, you know, it costs this much to create, a, uh, to offset a ton of CO2. Therefore, I sell for this much. The kind of maths are there. But when you start getting into, uh, you know, projects around kind of, rather than environmental, but social impact, you know, saving animals, for example, we've got, you know, another organization we work with that is, does nutrients, does life-saving um, operations on animals. Have you, are you seeing, you know, models, we're, we're looking at, we have, what are those models for quantifying that in economic terms? So you can ultimately create, you know, tokens yeah. to be purchased based on the impact that's developed, you know, environmentally, it makes sense. It's quite mature. The, the other models are maybe more complex. So yeah, just wonder, throw it out there as a kind of brainstorm question. You know, on the podcast, I think but. I think I think the path forward for that, or the roadmap where it's really gonna um, grab hold, is is really when the when the consumer says, "This is what I want." Uh, you know, it's if you have you know somebody like Coca Cola or some of these companies that have massive um, pollution problems and plastic problems, um, mm. you know, is 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 the company donating a certain amount of money? to that offset. Is that a true offset? Yeah. Right. And, and until, a, you know, the consumer says, you know, no, we demand this of you. Um, then I think that's when the mass adoption, which I know is not necessarily how you're asking it, but I think that that's the adoption of it. And then I think from the, from the tech side, um, I, I think that it's going to vary. I, I think that we don't have to set ourselves in a container for any value system anymore. And that's what I'm. That's why blockchain is interesting to me from the get-go, right? Is is because it it, it takes that container away. And while you have all all of the naysayers that, that have problems with certain pieces of it, at its core, there's a technology there that really allows for us to say, here's here's the the chain of value that we're that we want you to pay for, uh, and, and competition will say, here's what it's worth, right? I mean, that's that's. Um, at least in theory, <laughs> it doesn't always work that way. Uh, but I think more important than that is to find partners that, that understand the way you think and, and think, um, you know, just compatible. They're compatible with you in the in the ideas and the vision. And and so in that regard, you know, we are talking to some ecosystem ecosystem service offset marketplaces. 
that traditionally are doing just carbon offsets and, and talking to them about how we create that value system. And there is a, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of um, technologies available to help start that discussion uh, and then filling in the blanks is real important. And, and that actually leads into open data, which is the other component of this project for us is that we feel that um, creating a framework for, for researchers and public to share their data in an open way and open source uh, will really then bring that data into one place uh, because that's currently a problem, right? It's all decentralized and all over the web and, and, and a researcher will say, hey, I did this research, somebody can go see it, but you have to go to a government page and drill down and find it, right? The data is key. I mean, just, you know, what you said then, just, just to touch on it, it could be good to actually just explain it a bit more, I think, for, well, for me and our audience. But, you know, I think the carbon stuff's mature enough. It's kind of understood. But when you start talking about, you know, marketplaces for ecosystem services, do you want to just kind of go broader sure. on that? So, you, yeah, because it's an interesting I'll give you like the use case of the zoo, how we would do yeah. it, or, or how I would anticipate we would do it is, so say we've got a hectare or a couple acres of, of space that we're going to bring back. And we know that in order to create that, it's going to cost us, say, $25,000 to create that space into a forest and nurture it over 10 years. Um, and, and in that 10 years, wildlife should come back theoretically, right? And, and, and you know, um, this, say, bamboo lemur should be back in 10 years. And, and so from the zoo's angle, we have somebody that says, look it. If you bring that bamboo lemur back in 10 years, I'll give you $10,000. So we, we know that it's going to, how we're going to come through and do that, right? We can, we can go to an ecosystem service offset and say, we value this forest at this, this, and this, and plug in those numbers and make sure that everything's there for the 10 years uh, or 20 years or whatever time period it is. Uh, and then create a, a value on a per unit, basically, just like a carbon offset for that. And you can invest in that at that point in time. Um, and, and, and theoretically, you know, with, with NFTs and, and again, some of the, some of the ability there, you could actually return it like a security if you wanted to. So yeah. you could say, I'm going to invest 10,000 in this, in this property. We know that the, with this, uh, with this value, it's going to be this now in order to collect that value is where remote sensing comes in. And the, and the discussion with like that we were talking earlier, and we're partnered with Rochester Institute of Technology on that. Um, and so we have an entire remote sensing department that goes out and does things like, say, puts audio uh, recorders out there. So if we do that when there's no trees there, obviously there's, there's no sounds, right? If we're doing it in 10 years, we may actually hear that bamboo lemur make a sound. And because we've already worked on this and we have our, our grad student that created an imaging science algorithm for the audio, so we analyze the waveform of the audio. We know what the waveform of that bamboo lemur looks like. So we pull that out of, of the audience and say, yup, it's here. We can then reward and we can incentivize off from that as well. So it's not really just about that ecosystem, ecosystem service offset that helps fund it. But you, there's kind of a whole ecosystem. Sorry, I said ecosystem too many times. <laughs> but there, there is. There's an, entire, there, and th there's an entire investment around it that's not just economic. I guess is what I'm yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to do. Uh, it makes, you know, it makes sense. I mean, this is the stuff we are looking at right now, as you know, I mean, this whole being able to kind of mint value based on, you know, outcomes that are somewhat predicted, but ultimately not minted until you see the outcome. So right. yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting area and, you know, it does slightly different question, but, uh, you know, funnily enough, before we chatted, before we jumped on the pod, I was telling you that after this call, I'm getting this, uh, 
you know, hornet's nest removed from my uh, house, which I'm sure is not going to necessarily affect my um, local ecosystem too much. But this this whole, you know, biodiversity area, you know, what where do you draw the lines? When you start to look at it, you know, look at things, you know, locally, locally, regionally, globally, I'm not sure what the matrix is. I mean, this is where (laughs) there are complexities, right? Because ultimately, I don't know, it's almost a philosophical question, but, you know, where does the kind of, where does biodiversity end? You know, is it isolated? Because you can say, well, I've got an island here. We can absolutely determine outcomes based on this region or you know or do you ultimately have to look at things globally and work your way down as you start to kind of understand what's happening well i don't know if i don't know if this is one of the benefits or the costs of of me being a college dropout but i i i really i didn't go through academia right so i don't i don't sometimes the research piece of it and and some of those deeper dives i just go with my gut feeling you know, a lot. And, and so it's a personal decision for me, which may be different than what you're asking. But, but for me, I've always been able to say this is the right direction. So as long as we're going in that direction, then things are going to get better. And for me, that was enough uh, yeah. to, to move down that path. Um, I, I, I think that your question is a, is a, you know, when you think about humanity is a really important and interesting one. Um, because there, there's, you know, one of the discussions I have when I talk about conservation and I can see, sometimes I can see people's heads explode in the room when I, you know, <laughs> through their eyes when I say this, but I, should we save the tiger? Hmm. Are, are we not just trying to control the population of the tri- tiger to, to bolster it like we were to try to drop it? Is that not the same behavior? Yeah, and and that's, a, that's a really deep question, right? And, and I, I also say that zoos wouldn't exist in a perfect world, 100%. 100%, but we don't live in a perfect world. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I believe in the ability for us to connect people through those animals to create change. Yeah, very interesting because it is, and I won't go, I mean, there's thought experiments around this, you know, this whole, do I, you know, harm one animal within a species to save a species? I mean, these ethical kind of dilemmas that, you know, yeah. I don't tend to dwell on every day, but in conservation, you must think about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, all I imagine, time, but, yeah, yeah, because it is. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think I think you can dwell on that stuff, or you can you can work on solutions. And and for me, the days where I'm working on solutions are a lot better than the days on where I'm dwelling humanity. <laughs> um, and there most certainly are those days. I mean, it's you know, I, I last, when I was in Tanzania last time, I walked every single slum that they had because. I wanted to understand the full the full role of everything that was going on and the actors that are that are stakeholders in this. And man, I, you know, like if you don't dwell on humanity after coming out of a place like that, like you have major issues because that was heartbreaking to to see that. Yeah, type of for sure. Living. Um, and I know that, that that's rife all over Africa, you know, and in the world for that matter. Uh, and, and even to some extent here in the U.S., I mean, there, there's extreme poverty. So um, that's a really tough problem. But it's it's lunacy to think that we're just going to, you know, force people into acting for their own good, too. Yeah, you know, there's, there's governmental um, infrastructure that you have to build. And I, I'll tell you, I, I'm not going to say what country or what we're I've been working on an MOU with a country in Africa right now for 
nearly three years. And I put in my final draft for signing two and a half years ago. <laughs> you know, so it's, I mean, when you, I don't even, that's not even glacial, man. That's, that's like, <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> so um, that's, that's an, that's an evolving MOU because three years, <laughs> three years in the world we live in right now. And obviously I, with the, yeah, the, 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 the virus <laughs> and the conservation link to that, the, the amount of stuff that's happened in the three year period in conservation is pretty, uh, phenomenal so yeah, yeah. um so i mean th those are the and it does so you do get kind of dwelling on those sometimes you know in those days where you're just like holy hell is this ever going to move forward um and that can that can bash you down but then you you know you travel to madagascar and you see somebody that's making a dollar a day and they're they're smiling all day long and, and loving life, you know, and, and it's like, Oh, I just need to, we need to blend these things and, and get everything together and it'll all be fine, which is, I know a, a very large uh, dream, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, well, I mean, I have the so same, <laughs> I, I do have the same experience living here. I do see, you know, I'm surrounded by kind of sustenance farming and, and all sorts. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. You do, yeah, what's right for one person isn't right for another and you know it's it's a complex world we live in so yeah yeah i remember i came back from madagascar one day and i was talking to some family and i said oh you know they live on like a dollar like oh yeah but it's less expensive there it's like it's a dollar a day like how inexpensive do you have to get in order to make yourself live okay on that <laughs> and i think that's the that's one of the things that we try a lot is to expand that that field of view for people because certainly here in the U.S., when you have such a small amount of people with a passport um, that are traveling internationally, you know, that focus is right here. Uh, yeah. That's the, only, that's the only reality that they know. So if you can if you can bring that open, um, you know, hopefully good comes out of that. Yeah, I'm sure. And, um, you know, maybe a good segue as we kind of come into the the last part you know what's what what's the big stuff happening with the zoo at the moment what's what's kind of big on you i did actually google you before and there was some story about a was it a pink panda did i get it right i don't know there was some red panda sorry a pink a red panda let me get it right but yeah, yeah i just did a bit of research so i did actually oh, never sorry, heard no. of one i'd never heard of one so yeah but i saw that you guys yeah, are, it, they're an interesting uh, animal conservation wise too, because, you know, they're over closer to where you are and um, in, in the colder area and, and they have the same problem as everything, deforestation, you know, and they, they're cute as can be. I don't know if you saw a photo, but they- I did they, see a photo, uh, yeah. I, I, I just saw it on a news article, yeah. <laughs> one of the cutest animals on the planet for sure. And, and there's value in that for people coming in without a doubt, you know, so- um, we're rebuilding the front of the zoo uh, right now, which, you know, thankfully we got rid of an old building that, that was really representative of the old waves of zoos. And so now we're trying to actually create a, a front that will integrate all the stuff that we talked about and the storytelling of all those, those stories from the field, which is really the, the powerful piece, right? We want the individual stories and the persons that's helping us and how we're impacting them and, and the species and, and all those things. Um, so, you know, on site, we're, we're doing a lot of work with that. Um, we did have a snow leopard cub born a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago as well. Um, and we work with, with them in the field over human animal conflict, you know, so insurance around uh, livestock insurance. Um, yeah. and, and the area we're working with that, we dropped uh, poaching down to zero for snow leopards, which is awesome. Cool. And, and so far, we've had a few good years of that. So, um, yeah, so a lot of a lot of that stuff on site is infrastructure and building that, so we can we can tell the story better for the future generations. 
um, locally in, in Rochester. So the zoo's in Rochester, New York, which I don't think we said, but um, we've got a great local story of the Genesee River, which uh, I'm sure all your listeners or the pe- people listening to this that are watching it, uh, Kodak in Rochester. Uh, some of the industry really polluted the river. Uh, so we uh, have been working for years with all the other agencies to bring that back and reintroducing sturgeon, lake sturgeon to the river. And just a couple of weeks ago, we got our first female with eggs after 20 years. So that, that project is coming to fruition. Um, you know, and then my department also runs an urban ecology program that takes the 16 urban youth uh, and we give them a two-year workforce development program and basically just teach, teach them how to engage in nature. For oh, that's cool. I've been speaking yeah. to some people in Singapore. There's a lot of, I mean, I don't know if you've been to Singapore, but Singapore is obviously very urban with a bit of rainforest yeah. parked out there, but there's a lot of work that goes on there in terms of that kind of type of education. So, Yeah, that pro- I'm, I'm super happy with that program. That's been really great. We're like four years into it and we're now getting the rollover and kids going into college, you know, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm pretty proud of that program locally. Uh, so. Cool. Well, look, it's been good to chat and, and really appreciate you sharing so much stuff and looking forward to, you know, some of the other work we're going to do together. If people are on the podcast, want to kind of go and find out about the zoo yourself, do you want to just kind of share links for them to go and kind of find out more information? Yes. SenecaParkZoo.org is, is the website. Um, and, and they can get most of their stuff there. Any, any citizen science website that, you know, look at Rochester and our data sets there, hopefully. And if not, then you can reach out to me and tell me to get it there. <laughs> awesome. Cool, Tom. Well, yeah, I'll leave you to your day and, and cheers for getting up early and, and chatting. And uh, yeah, have a, have a good one. You too. Thanks for having me. Enjoy. Hey, thanks for listening to the Task Podcast and hope you found it interesting. If you'd like to get in touch and have a chat with myself, Matt, or one of the team, then we are at hello at task.io and we'd love to speak to you. Cheers.